Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast about iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And Alex Robinson is at MineCon. So he will not be joining us today. This is episode 79. So we got, we're down one man today, but we still got some cool, good stuff to talk about. Do we? It's been a really slow week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we came up with a few good things. All right. Maybe we can, let's, uh, let's hit some news real quick. We got our uh, double betas back. So, well. Double X code. We don't have double betas. That's yeah. a whole other thing. <laughs> right. That won't be till later. Yeah. But yeah, we got a new beta, X code, and got a new iOS beta. And so do you install the, the like the dot one betas at all on your new devices? I normally don't. And someone was like, hey, did you install it? You've got the seven plus. And I was like, eh, I normally don't. But because what eventually or what normally happens is I have the profile on there. And then I'll get at some point I'll get some beta that has something broken that I didn't really want, you know, in like January or something, and I'll be pissed at myself. So, but I installed it so I could get the the fancy blur in the background feature on my phone. And it seems like it works fine. Yeah, that that doesn't work on the selfie camera, right? Just on the right the, the back. Uh, yeah, it's called portrait mode, I believe, is what it's called. So you gotta you gotta take a picture or have somebody take a picture of you and update your Twitter profile and get that little blurred background. I'll have to I'll have to do that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> gotta show off your your your, uh, your toys. Yeah. So one thing that's been driving me nuts really since the beginning of the the betas for uh, Sierra is this fact that. It's really hard to run anything more than 1080p on my Dell monitor. And apparently it's a, an issue for more than just me because it made the uh, cover or the front page of Mac Rumors this past week. But it was on the front page? Uh, you, you know what? Maybe maybe not. I always tick I saw the, the I saw tabs. it on the sidebar of the front page. I guess that's a front page, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, that counts. Yeah. It's legit. So actually, if you click on the the uh, tabs at the top, it shows you what's in the sidebar items. So okay. I, I never look at the sidebar because I'm always used to that as a place for ads, so I tune it out. And then I just go between the tabs and hit each one. Yeah, I actually just, I have uh, the guy who gets his money from ads has an ad blocker turned on, so I don't <laughs> see the ads, but... <laughs> um, I have a mental ad blocker. Yeah. Except for but those. I I only saw because I was scrolled down and reading some story that was like in the middle this this picture of these uh, these new Snapchat glasses just ugh um, <laughs> but I think that's where I saw it but I don't think I saw that anywhere yeah uh, but yeah it sounds like that's a big issue I I don't know what your deal is because it's working fine on my monitor and I, it sounds like you got a fancy Dell and those those ones are aren't cheap are they. Well, this is no. It wasn't very cheap. It was a nice little IPS display. It's twenty-seven inches, so it's too small to run at native four K resolution. But uh, it's it makes a very nice crisp ten eighty p right now. Yeah, it's really weird because yeah. I mean I have the exact same thing. Mine's a cheap. I got like the cheapest one I could, 
and I'm running at the not the native resolution, but the one that looks like 2560 by 1440. It's a 27-inch, too, and it's working just fine for me. I didn't have any problems with the bait at all, so next time, maybe you just need to cheap out on your monitor, Sam, and fix <laughs> things up. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, there was a guy at work that got a cheap Odell, because, you know, Dell, they have all ranges. Yeah. And his was a 27-inch uh, TN display. Yeah, that's what mine is. <laughs> but his would only run at 60 hertz when it was in uh, 1080p. Anything else, it would run at 30 hertz. And it was horrible. <laughs> you could see, it was like when you would uh, scroll the mouse across the screen, it was almost like the old Windows days where you had mouse trails turned on. Yeah, I had that when I switched to my Hackintosh. That went away because that was super annoying. But my Hackintosh is doing fine. So maybe it's because I have the Hackintosh that mine mine is working good. Ah, and you are on Sierra with the Hackintosh? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm on Sierra as of a couple days ago. When it officially released, I was like, all right, it seems like this is working for most people. Even the watch unlock works, so. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's a, maybe I should have just went the Hackintosh route. Stop yeah. waiting around for those nice MacBook Pros coming out someday. Yeah. You know, one thing that's been bugging me lately with these betas that I thought what they would have fixed by now is uh, if you use a simulator in the Xcode console, there's this like crazy system logging that goes on, especially when there's like network activity and it makes it impossible to read anything. Yeah. Then that I can confirm that has not been fixed in the latest uh, 10.1 beta or 8.1 Xcode beta. It seems crazy. Uh, is it because they want you to use the console app now? Is that for simulator? No. What I read well, was that it's a there's they left on a debugging flag somewhere down in the core of the system, and that's still turned on. Yeah, I guess it only happens on when you're running in debug on your simulator, not on uh, an actual device. Yeah. And it, it looks like there's this flag you can throw in your your uh, environment variables or something. It's called like OS activity mode equals disable. And then you're back to normal logging. So it seems like they should just do that by default <laughs> on well, your simulator. Yeah, I read a little bit about this flag. And I do believe that it will take out some extra stuff that you might not want it to take out. Uh, in your console itself, but so if they you don't, just, huh. yeah, if, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a global flag, I think. There, there's something about it where it's not the perfect solution, but it will get rid of your excess logging, but maybe a little bit too much of your logging. That's a bummer. I guess I'll just debug on a device until they get their act together. I'd start writing more tests. How does that help? <laughs> less, less debugging, less print statements. Don't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So there were... <laughs> you got plenty of tests, right? Yeah, I got, we actually have a decent amount of tests for things that are easily testable, like achievements and stuff like that. But there's some things that are not as testable in our code. Yeah. Especially in a game app when you're when you got a lot of random things going on. Hmm. That can be 
difficult, I suppose. Lots of event-driven stuff. Yeah. But you're, I'm sure your core logic is well-tested, right? Oh, yeah. The game logic is... That's all completely... Doesn't need UI at all. That's all separate. And yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. So you got the new phone now, right? The, yep. the Jet Black 7 Plus, right? Yes, sir. So how are you liking this Taptic Feedback Engine in there? It's actually really nice. It's like a, it's a good, good way to give feedback, especially on things that can have multiple selections. The home button thing's a little hit or miss, although I feel like I've gotten used to it by now. But like, uh, my favorite one is like when you're uh, in a UI picker, you you get a little feedback every time you switch it. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. How is it different than when you do a force touch on the phone and it gives that little buzz in your hand? Is that something different? Uh, that one's a little bit stronger. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the, the 6S specifically. So I know it, that doesn't have the haptic engine. All right, yeah. Let me, yeah. Let me pull up my uh, test device now, my 6S Plus, and I'll test. <laughs> <laughs> As it powers on, um, as it's as it's doing that, I've been thinking about uh, using it in my apps just as kind of like a, when you're selecting a different card, just kind of doing a little tactic buzz. Um, I think it, that was the one new API that we got in the it was either in the GM or it was probably the actual release version that we got uh, when they. Did all their announcements and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know it's different, but I'm just not really sure how it's different. You know, I don't think they ever gave us programmatic access to that force. I call it force feedback for lack of a better word, even though it's an old Microsoft game controller thing. But that, that little uh, like piezo buzz that. Yeah. That, so I'm I'm doing it on both phones, like right next to each other right now. And it doesn't really feel that much different. So this seems like it might be one of those software limited things. If anything, it's a little bit stronger on the uh, the new phone. Hmm. Okay. Apparently it's pretty easy to generate these things. There's just this UI impact feedback generator class. And uh, a few other things. Selection feedback. Notification feedback. So it's pretty cool. Uh, we'll uh, we'll link to a little blog post that shows how to do this stuff. Yeah, it's it's kind of a shame that they didn't just add this. It seems like they could have just added it to the older iOS versions or the older phones that have some type of haptic support built in already. Because uh, it's just a little nice extra thing that you get. I mean, you don't miss it, but it's one of those things like, you know, the surprise and delight type thing. So mm -hmm. I, I love the betas when you would turn the volume off on your phone and it, on your 6S with the little lock switch and it gives it a little vibrate. That was nice. It's a nice little touch. Yeah, I guess I, I don't I guess this is this feedback generator thing is only for the seven. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a shame. And there must—I'm sure there's some 
lame reason that they're saying is why it's only for the seven. But <laughs> I, if if you have places where you're, I guess the selection one is the one that I I like a bunch. If you're doing some type of selection, I definitely recommend using it in your apps, even if you're not really sure kind of what it's what the point of it is. It's it just feels nice. Yeah. I could easily see this be being one of those APIs. Like if you remember back to uh, when iOS seven came out, those the motion those, uh, effects, physics, yeah, the motion effects and the physics based APIs that they added. Oh yeah, that, UI Kit Dynamics. Yeah, that stuff that everyone was like, "Oh, that looks really cool," and it, it just kind of fallen off. Yeah, it really I don't, just. I don't really fizzled. see any apps using it that much. No, I mean messages. Does messages even still do that? I mean, messages still does the stuff that they demoed when they were talking about that stuff, like how it slides into things in a kind of like yeah. a physics-based manner. But I want to say I read somewhere that they're not using UI Dynamics anymore, but I could be wrong. <laughs> or that they weren't actually using it in the first place. Oh, because that I, was like the big thing, and everybody was using UI Kit Dynamics to mimic that. Yeah. Hmm. But UI Kit Dynamics always seemed like it had issues playing nicely with other things in the OS. Uh, yeah, it is a weird thing because it doesn't play into auto layout. Yeah, it's one of those things that just directly. didn't catch on. <laughs> right. I guess the motion effects were even less of a thing that caught on, but. <laughs> Your home screen still does it, but that's about it. Right. Yep. I remember I had it in the app I was that I work on during the day, and <laughs> it took the product owner about a year and a half to find it. <laughs> as soon as he found it, he's like, "Get that out of there." We still have a branch of our app that we were all three of us were at Dub Dub when they had the keynote, and that was the one thing we did. We went back, we branched, we implemented it for our our uh, game, and it didn't take very long before. We were like, no, we're not going to ship this. <laughs> <laughs> and it, th that branch is sitting there however many years later, not used at all. So It's like the lost code. Yeah. Is. Sometimes you just got to go back and prune some branches, Argo. Yeah. So uh, new uh, thing out this week. We got token authentication for push messages. Do you guys use a lot of push in your app? Uh, we don't use a lot. Uh, we use it some for like inviting people to uh, to multiplayer and stuff like that. We we try not to be too crazy, but it's always a pain with all the certificates getting that working because we didn't use any like third party provider, and those certificates expire all the time. It's always a pain in the butt. Well, now you only have one certificate to worry about. Yeah, assuming we. <laughs> Changeover. Well, I'm sure next time a certificate's about to expire, we'll we'll be like, oh yeah, we should use that new token based thing. And I'm sure that would require a little change on your push server side, right? Yeah, yeah. Anything to deal with one last certificate, I'll take it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Those things are such a pain, a royal pain. But the security is good for all of us, Sam. Yeah, but apparently. Tokens are just as secure, right? 
I guess so. I guess you can expire the token. Yeah, I would I would think so. It's I'm sure it's just kind of an OAuth type of implementation. Yeah, yeah. But uh did you see that that new uh, Google app came out this week, Allo, their uh like iMessages competitor, I guess you would call it, or their chat app. Wait, wasn't, one that, of the... wasn't that Duo or Hangouts or No, Duo is like G-chat FaceTime. Or... <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, they they keep they keep trying. Maybe they'll hit on it eventually. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess the big thing is they have the Google Assistant in there with you in your chat. Um which I mm. guess is cool. You mean the Google Spy? Yes. And speaking of security, they were uh, one of the big features they were supposed to have was the end-to-end encryption. Uh, this was, I, f- I feel like they announced it back when a lot of the stuff with uh, the FBI wanting to make Apple give it a backdoor and all that stuff was going on, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna have end-to-end encryption." Well, both so the conferences all your data were safe. Yeah. yeah. Both their conferences were all around that time. So yeah, yeah. DubDub and IO within within a few weeks, a month of each other. And that whole FBI stuff was going on at that point. Yeah, well, it turns out they decided not to do the end-to-end encryption in Allo. <laughs> Maybe because it was too hard to do with their spy in there, their agent. Eh, it shouldn't be. Well, if it's end-to-end... It looks yeah. like there is a way to turn it on, but by default, uh, it's turned off. So, mm. which means essentially for any normal user, um, right. it's gonna be it's gonna be off by default. And the yeah. FBI can be like, "Hey, Google, give us access to all of their allos." And <laughs> Google will be like, "Yes, yes, sir, FBI." It's kind of a bummer, but well, they'll, they'll catch all those the bad guys, but because. Uh... They're going to start serving up ads that are related to pressure cookers and things like that. And then they'll just know, oh, wait, we should tell the FBI about this guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, that's probably inappropriate. You, it's, it's kind of a weird thing, though, because um, we've been in a scenario where uh, people were making vague threats in our app before and they got reported by a user and it's like, well, like, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> They're saying, like, they work for Al-Qaeda or something, let's say. And it's like, if someone sends you a support request that says, yeah, this person I was playing with, here's the chat log. They said they are working for Al-Qaeda. <laughs> what would you do in that scenario? <laughs> you know, for the most part, I would probably just ignore it. But I have family that work in organizations where they have to report anything like that. Yeah. If if somebody jokes to them about something, they have to report it. And it's because that organization has been in trouble in the past for ignoring things like that. So they're ultra paranoid now. Like they've gotten sued or something like that. So it's a liability thing on their end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's weird. Cause like, even if I had all the the time to like go report to someone, I I don't really have that much information about this user because we you know try to keep it to a minimum. We don't want to store all the user's information and stuff like that. So it's like, hey, so this user uh, said that they're doing something bad or whatever, and then 
then you talk to some government agency and what are they going to do? They're going to be like, oh, uh, we need you to give us a backdoor into your system. <laughs> or I got to imagine they would be like, they would probably not care either because it's a card game app. You know, what are you going to get from a card game app? Right. Chances are it's a false false alarm. False yeah. Report. Someone's just messing around with people, but. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of immature people online, right? Yeah. For so, sure. So here's a little follow-up from last week's episode. And because I actually was doing prep for last week's episode, uh, this week I was putting some of that into practice and uh, was using UI layout guides. And what I wanted to do was create like a little grid I would love to have that little NS grid that they demoed at at DubDub, but that's just for Coco. Yeah. And I didn't go down the path of writing my own little UI grid, at least not at this point. But um, so I started to get a, I did get acquainted with UI layout guides, and they are pretty pretty slick. You can you can basically define regions in your in your uh, view with these guides. So you set, you create a guide, you add it to your view, and then you kind of like set up its, it's a rectangle with auto layout like constraints. Yeah. And then from there, whenever you add a view, you can reference those, those, uh, guides. So I was able to do a two column layout really easily. And there's uh, this other syntax with adding. Aren't you the... supposed to use stack views for that? <laughs> <laughs> Or no, UI that, collection view? Well, or is this like a static thing? It's a static thing. And, okay, I gotcha. And I'm already in a scroll view on the screen, so I didn't want to embed no. a okay. collection view because that would just be awkward, right? But stack views are still not a good solution for this? Well, I wanted two columns. Actually, I wanted three, but... Um, and you want them to be in a kind of a grid, right? Because I guess with stack views, you can have the columns, but then there's no way to sync what's up in the columns, right? Right. Stack views will kind of work off the intrinsic content size of yeah. the views that are added to it. Yeah, it makes sense. So those wouldn't work. Okay. Uh, yeah, they probably wouldn't have. Just because I wanted this, this nice column layout in stack views. When you're... Uh, stacking them on top of each other they would just there's no uh, no easy way to guarantee consistency with the with the column layout maybe you should just make it for a, a mac app instead of ios <laughs> <laughs> yeah that does defeat the purpose of this app all right fair enough but anyway so i i defined my uh, regions with these uh, layout guides and then when i added the views i reference those with the the new syntax for creating uh, con creating constraints so once you create these constraints or once you create these guides you then get access to like these anchors that are on the guides mm -hmm. so the view itself has a, a leading anchor and a trailing anchor and i think probably a center x anchor you take your view that you're uh trying to constrain and you call like the leading anchor property on that and you say dot constraint and you pass in to the equal to method to 
the other anchor of the view that or the layout guide that you're trying to get to and maybe a constant and then you that gives you back a, a ns layout constraint and then if you want to make that active on that view you just say dot is active equals true so with all that code prepped up with those guides and stuff for me to add a constraint to a view it's one line of code and it does exactly what I want I don't have to add the constraint I don't have to specify 15 different parameters or anything it's it was really simple I I became a convert this weekend on this stuff sounds pretty cool yeah the the only catch was there's not or I had to piece together through a different through a few different blog posts about how these things actually work because I created the guide and I was like, well, how do I say that it's going to be like this or that? And I found one article that said, here, you have to add these constraints to it. Can you do it in interface builder itself or does it have to be in code? Uh, so there's a, there's a check mark for the, I don't use interface builder people. Uh, UI layout guides are only supported in code and not supported in, in interface builder yet huh yeah that seems really weird yeah especially since they introduced it in ios 9 not ios 10. right so this is a a last year feature and it's still not supported in interface builder but the and i don't know if uh maybe you could create a sub view that would have an ib outlet of one of these types are these constraint these uh, layout guides or not because when you uh, constrain something in interface builder you're able to say like make this top to the or set this the top of this view to the top layout guide and that's a that's an actual ns layout guide or ui layout guide that gets a little confusing too because you're dealing with ns layout constraints and you have a ui layout guide it's the whole uh, foundation versus UI kit mm -hmm. stuff, all those prefixes. But yeah, you're using them in Interface Builder already. There's just no support for creating them, at least not yet. Interesting. Yeah. So definitely... have you filed a radar to uh to get them <laughs> to add support for Interface Builder? It'll probably get closed as a duplicate, like my. Uh, resolution issue with Sierra. So you did file a rater for that. You're good. I, well, I well, guess I, you're not good because I haven't fixed it. But <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I filed that radar back in early August. And it was closed as a duplicate of one. And whoever maybe logged that one might have been an internal Apple employee or somebody who didn't bother to copy it onto open radar. Hopefully they fix fix both of those. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm i hoping a new beta will come out pretty soon and the world will be good again. Check out UI layout guides. It's uh, They're definitely good things. So one other thing I've, I've seen in the news this week, since there hasn't really been much, is uh, it looks like Twitter is trying to sell itself to someone. Who's Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the the suitors for Twitter are kind of an interesting 
mix. Uh, it looks like the three kind of leading candidates to buy Twitter are Google, which which makes sense. That's probably the one that makes the most sense. Uh, Verizon, which is super scary, and then Salesforce, which just kind of makes me raise my eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> So would you stop using Twitter if they got bought by any one of those? I don't know if I'd stop using Twitter, but uh, my my app's advertising all runs through MoPub, which Twitter owns as well. So I'd be I'd be scared if Google bought them that they'd shut down the MoPub piece of Twitter. Uh, yeah, you know what? When I was reading this in our Trello board, I was thinking, oh, who cares about Twitter? But I realized, yeah, I care about Twitter. Is yeah, what about fabric? Crashlytics, Fabric, uh, Fastlane? That's all Twitter. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, this is actually bigger than I thought it was. And that developer tools stuff is the only thing that I can think of that Salesforce would want. But, but that's not... They could get that for a lot cheaper if they just wanted to buy the, the dev tool stuff, I would think. Couldn't they? Because they're mostly enterprise-focused. I, I, Yeah, Salesforce just kind of baffles me yeah salesforce doesn't seem like one of those ones that would be a great product fit yeah i mean google google makes a lot of sense and between them and verizon you know people say bad stuff about twitter's privacy all the time but i feel like google would be a much better steward of my private data or my i guess it's mostly public on twitter my my twitter data than verizon would because Verizon does all kinds of shady stuff, but Google normally, while they like use all of your data to to target ads for you and stuff like that, they they at least are upfront about what they're doing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and they don't they don't like they don't do malicious things with their data. Like they don't sell your data to other people; they just use it for their ads. But Verizon. I mean, they do all kinds of stuff. Like, if you have a Verizon cellular plan, they, like, add the, these identifiers onto every bit of data that you send, and they can track you and all kinds of stuff like that. It just seems super scary. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of gross. It seems like Twitter is too new for for Verizon to buy. They, they've only been adding to companies or buying companies that were created in the 90s. Yeah, they bought AOL. They bought Yahoo. Oh yeah, yeah I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they've been buying up all these. Uh, well, old, they haven't actually they they haven't actually finished buying Yahoo yet. I think they're in the process for that. Okay. So it seems weird, yeah. That uh, I mean, Yahoo and Twitter. I think their main moneymakers are both advertisements on on their respective things. So I guess maybe Verizon wants to be kind of like this advertising juggernaut or something aol is kind of the same way that was the only profitable part of them left i believe actually surprisingly aol is more than just aol it was huffington post and uh TechCrunch, uh maybe in gadget i think maybe Engadget. yeah they had a bunch of media outlets but where do those all yeah. get money from advertising Right. And there's there's actually another advertising company that we use, or two of them, uh, called one of them's called Millennial Media and one of them's called Nexage. And 
uh, AOL owned both of them before <laughs> they got bought by Verizon. So it's all about the ads with all these companies. It's really weird. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't know. As long as you can keep making money with your advertisements, that's all you need, right? <laughs> I guess doesn't, so. <laughs> doesn't matter who it comes from so much. But, you know, it's what makes the software world go around these days. I guess so. Right. Even Marco Orman's doing it. Yeah. Well, on that super uh, awesome note, I think that's about all the time we have this week. So why don't you tell me where I can find you on the internet, Sam? I am at Sam Corder. And I'm at Alex Argo on Twitter. Uh, you can find the podcast at Shared Instant. Join us on our Slack at chat.sharedinstant.com to get an invite. Uh, and we'll talk to you next week. Uh, and everyone will be here, I believe. <laughs> I believe we should all be back together. You'll be doing release notes next week, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm heading to Indianapolis. Uh, before I think this podcast will air, I will be there. Um, and Alex is finishing up his, his vacation. I think he's going to Disneyland too. So he's, he's going to have quite a fun time, but yeah, we should all be back and ready to go next week. So see you then. Cool. See you.